The following is a paid program. Advice and opinions expressed during the Making Your Money Work with Associated Bank show are solely that of the host or guests and not those of 1017 The Truth, Good Karma Brands, Milwaukee LLC, or Associated Bank. Associated Bank N.A. is member FDIC and an equal housing lender. This is Making Your Money Work with Associated Bank on the new 1017 The Truth. Here is your host, Melanie Ricks. What's up, everybody? This is Making Your Money Work with Associated Bank. My name is Melanie Ricks, and I am super excited to be joined today by Philip Bailey, Senior Vice President and Director of Fraud Prevention at Associated Bank. Philip, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Uh, It was snowing, but other than that, I'm fine. You know, Philip, this is our second time having this conversation. We spoke a little over a year ago about fraud, and we're really excited to have you back. How's your time in Milwaukee been? It's always good every time I get to come to Milwaukee. I feel like this is my second home now. I'm up here probably once or twice a month at this point, you know, so I feel like um, my second team is the Milwaukee Bucks. I like I like Giannis, you know. Uh, I can't get with the Brewers, but everything else is fine. I mean, you're from Chicago. You have two baseball teams there, so three would probably be a lot. We really don't have two. Yeah, we can't yeah. talk about the White Sox. Okay, I, that uh, so you know, funny. it's Chicago Cubs all day. <laughs> Well, enough about baseball. Today, we'll be talking about your expertise in identifying fraudulent scams and how to best prevent it. Over the last two years, we've seen a new wave of fraud, and I don't think it's a coincidence that this wave occurred during COVID. Now, Philip, before we fully dive in, can you tell us a little bit more about your role as the Senior Vice President and Director of Fraud Prevention at Associated Bank? All right. Well, I'm in charge of the enterprise fraud strategy for Associated Bank. Uh, In layman's details, what that means is I break down the strategy of what we're going to be doing uh, and all of the different programs that we're going to be, um, I guess, executing against, you know, this ever-changing fraud landscape that we see, especially uh, uh, post-COVID. So my job is to keep my team uh, rolling and keep everyone's money safe within uh, Associated Bank and keep uh, people from... Um, fortunately falling victim to some of these sophisticated fraudsters. Well, I want to go ahead and keep discussing fraud and identity theft by laying the foundation on what exactly they are and how it can put a real strain on people's lives. So can you kind of break it down for us in layman's terms for our listeners so they can truly understand just how stressful it can be when one experiences identity theft? Identity theft is basically misrepresentation. If you if you break it down to the uh, simplest of forms, either a person is misrepresenting themselves as another in- individual or misrepresenting themselves as another institution. Uh, there's three basic types of identity theft. So there's identity theft where a person is using stolen personal identification uh, information and they're trying to get some type of financial gain. There's uh, account takeover when a person uh, hacks into a known good person's account and then uh, misrepresents themselves at that as that person. And then there's something that uh, a lot of people aren't familiar with and that's synthetic identity fraud. So Mel, what that will be is a, a an example would be as if I took your name, but then I added my address, then I had it so added someone else's email address, and then I manufactured a totally different individual, and then applied for different um, applications in that manufactured individual's name. Wow, yeah, that that's really unfortunate. Now, as I mentioned before, we spoke about a year ago about how there was going to be a new wave of fraud post pandemic. 
Well, now here we are, and that new wave has very much arrived. What are some of the new techniques that scammers are using to take advantage of people post-pandemic? Well, what we're seeing is uh, bank bank burglaries are down. However, Mm -hmm. what we're seeing there is mail theft is up 161 percent. Wow. So what people are doing, you know, what these fraudsters are doing, uh, they're organizing in groups and they're uh, either robbing uh, mail carriers uh, straight up for the mail or what they're doing is trying to get their arrow key. And what an arrow key is, uh, mail carriers use these arrow keys to open the, um, the mailboxes within a specific geographic area. So if they can get the mail key, I mean the arrow key, then they have access to all the mailboxes within that specific geographic area mm-hmm. and what they're doing uh, is they're going through sifting through the mail and looking for checks we know check fraud is up 106 percent it's not a coincidence mm-hmm. one relate one rolls into the other so what they're doing is they're looking for checks not only from individuals but from businesses they're going outside of um, small businesses some larger businesses and they're targeting those mailboxes you know why because those checks are good. They know that those checks are good. They don't have to do any additional information. All they need to do is alter them. No, uh, if it's a business and they're writing larger amounts of checks, they don't need to alter the amount. They only need to alter the payee. If it's consumers, they'll alter the amount and the payee. Wow. That is such an elaborate scheme just to take advantage of unsuspecting people. Thank you for sharing that with our listeners. So next, I have a two-part question for you. With this new and very unfortunate technique of mail theft and getting individuals and businesses information, can you talk about ways that people can not only protect themselves but also protect their small business from being a victim? From a consumer perspective, you want to make sure that you're, if if at all possible, you're handing your mail off to your mail carrier directly, especially if you're sending checks. I would also state that to, if at all possible, migrate to electronic payments. Do ACH payments, do whether it's uh, ACH via your bank account or you're doing credit card payments. Sign up for electronic payments. One of the best things about a credit card is, from a consumer perspective, is it's 100% protected. So normally, if someone hacks and steals your bank account, there's a lot of different um, processes you have to go through, especially like for a check. You have to dispute the check. And then if you dispute it in a right time frame, some people, unless you're monitoring your accounts on a daily basis, you may have wrote, wrote the check months ago and then now you're like oh wait a minute i wrote that for 43 dollars not 430 dollars oh i need to dispute it and you may be outside of the timeliness of that dispute whereas if you uh did that same payment via credit card you can just contact your credit card provider due to dispute normally they give you the instant credit uh, immediately while they investigate they'll find that it's fraud no crime no foul so you can I would always say migrate to electronic payments if you can, if you have absolutely have to send uh, check payments, if you're able, hand it off to the directly to your postal carrier or take it up to your local uh, post office as well. For businesses, it's a little bit different. I would always state that for businesses that you should uh, be get some type of positive pay system. What a positive pay system is, there's a couple of types. There's full positive pay, whereas 
you'll get the full file sent to you and it has the pays of all the checks that's going out for that day as well as the amounts and then you can compare them to what you have in your accounting system reverse positive pay it's a little bit cheaper and it's more consumer for, uh, for the smaller businesses who may not have the big budgets but with reverse positive pay you'll at least get the check numbers and you'll get the amounts that's going out so if the amount has been altered you'll be able to see it and then you can contact your bank at that time and say no pay don't pay that check mm. that way you're protecting yourself before the funds even go out so I always <coughs> say get some, get some type of positive pay system if you're a small business Right. and most of the time if you do, if you negotiate correctly, positive, reverse positive pay, they're giving that away for free. Mm, I see. And I'm sure that is something that most people don't know. So what are banks like Associated Bank doing to help protect consumers? They're doing exactly what I'm doing now. If you look at my uh, fraud awareness is uh, 100% the key. Uh, I spoke with... Um, the kid, uh, over 3,000 kids at an event the other day because I'm starting out early. I want They need to know about fraud. They need to know about social engineering, some of these things as well because they're being targeted as well. Also, uh, this is uh, International Fraud Awareness Week, so I'm doing everything that I possibly can to uh, spread fraud awareness to everyone, you know, give the good information. Also, in addition to that, we're beefing up all of our checks as well. Like, we're looking into uh, AI, different ways that we can uh, look at how we're uh, currently monitoring fraud and just adjusting with the fraud landscape. The goal is to be predictive, but also proactive. We can't wait for fraudsters to hit us. We have to be able to anticipate uh, where they're going to try to hit us and be able to counter them before there's any losses to consumers or the bank. Now, you mentioned that you've gone to schools and you've talked to schools about this. I agree that it is important to start this education young. So at what age would you recommend that families start talking to their children about identity theft? I, I would say as soon as they can comprehend. I would say so. Uh, I would say go with fourth and fourth grade and up. And then that makes the most sense to me. Um because if I what one of the things that I do for uh, the younger children is I play a game. It's called Find a Fraud. And then I organize the kids into different groups. And then I deputize them as fraud analysts for the day. And then I say I give them different scenarios and then I walk them and then I say, OK, come back and let me know as a team. Do you believe that if it's fraudulent or not? What you will find is children are smarter than we think. And I think that when you walk them through it, and even if they don't get it right, if you can walk them through why this is fraudulent, I think it's gonna go help and go a long way. One of those things is social engineering, and, and something that I always tell them that blows their mind is that what if I were to tell them that their identity is worth a thousand times more than my identity? And then they're like, why is that? You know. So then I break it down to them. I have a car in my name. I have a house in my name. I have other things in my name. I check my credit report. I, I check my credit on a regular basis. I ask them, do they do it? They're like, no, I don't even know how to do all I don't have any of that in my name. That's why their identity is worth yeah. more than mine. They can use it and resell it over and over and over again before they even utilize their identity. Right. So that's why keeping their information private is, is important as well. Philip, you're an expert in identity theft and fraud. There are so many terms in the scamming glossary that a normal person simply doesn't know. 
What would you say are the most prevalent terms and scamming that we should all be aware of? I think is ultimately important. Important. You need to know what smishing is. I think everyone knows what phishing is, but you need to know what smishing is. You need to know what phishing is. Smishing is basically uh, phishing. Everyone knows that phishing involves emails, but smishing is involves SMS texts. So if you ever got random texts from Amazon or random texts for things telling you to click a link, like "Hey, your package is here," that's what smishing is. If you ever got random phone calls of people asking you questions. That you did for products that you didn't even purchase. That's what vishing is. It's normally do a uh, voice call. See, and that's something I just wouldn't know. So I appreciate you sharing and breaking those terms down for me and for our audience. Coming up next, we'll continue our conversation with Philip Bailey, Senior Vice President and Director of Fraud Prevention at Associated Bank, and we'll continue to look into scams that you should be aware of. I got money. Making your money work with Associated Bank returns next on the new 1017 The Truth. Making your money work with Associated Bank returns next on the new 1017 The Truth. Welcome back into Making Your Money Work with Associated Bank. I'm Melanie Ricks, and I am joined today by Philip Bailey, Senior Vice President and Director of Fraud Prevention at Associated Bank. We're having a conversation about scams that you as a consumer should be more aware of so that you do not fall victim to an attack. So, Philip, we teased it before break. We hear about so many different types of scams, but one that isn't widely known is employment scams. What exactly is that? An employment scam uh, involves... uh, individual misrepresenting themselves as a potential employer. Oftentimes they have positions that they post on credible job websites, whether it's Monster, Indeed. Uh, we've saw we've saw a couple on leaving on LinkedIn where they're stating that hey we're hiring. Normally it's for uh, strange positions such as like payment processors or even mystery shoppers. And then what it involves is they go through an interview process, they get the information, and then what they start to do is they start to send checks. They'll send a check via email, tell you that, hey, you're, you're a payment processor, Mel, so I need you to deposit the check. And then once you deposit it, I need you to make payments to these accounts. So normally the payment is via some type of peer-to-peer such as Zelle or Venmo mm-hmm. or even Cash App. And they'll say, we need you to transfer these payments to these other people, and then we'll give you more. And then that's your job, is transferring money. However, unbeknownst to the individual, the consumer, that check's going to return. And when that check returns, now they're looking like that they're a co-conspirator in the fraud. So... It it, it changes the dynamic of the consumer-employer relationship. Obviously... If you're a payment processor, you wouldn't be depositing funds into your own uh, account to do any uh, transfers or any payments. So I always say trust, I always say trust, but verify. If it doesn't make sense, let's pause. Let's think it, think it through. Talk about it with someone else. Right. And oftentimes you talking about it and socializing it with someone else will help you make better decisions. Right. Right. And don't be afraid to communicate that to someone else. Now, with that being said, how can someone recognize whether or not the job may be a scam? You just said to talk it out with someone else, but are there any other red flags that we should be looking for? 
I would say always look, uh, you should be doing due diligence on any employer that you're a p- potential employer. You should be looking to see if they have a website. Is the website a credible website? Do you know anyone who worked there? Is there any glass door reviews or, uh, of, for this employer? If you don't see any glass door reviews, I would say even the smallest employer has some type of glass door reviews or has some type of uh, salaries that are on there. Uh, if you don't find any of that information, Information oftentimes that those are real big red flags. Unless you're working for a small, small business type of uh, entity, if they're, per, 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 I guess, uh, representing themselves as a big employer, you shouldn't see any of those things. You should be able to find some credible information for for them on the internet. Thank you so much for sharing ways that we can avoid becoming a victim of an employment scam and telling us some red flags. But Philip. Let's say you do find yourself unintentionally or unknowingly breaking the law. What should you do next? I would say oftentimes you should contact your bank as soon as possible. Bring forth the information as soon as possible. Try to share all of the information you have. If you have any information based on emails that you have, try to share all of the information and be forthcoming about it. I think oftentimes what what we see is that individuals are being very... I guess, suspicious in their activity in terms of withholding information, uh, stating they don't know who they talked with, they don't know what number, they don't know the email address. That makes it seem as though you're a co-conspirator. Mm-hmm. But if you're forthright and just stating and, and not waiting until you know it goes on and on and on and you've spent the funds and all of those different things. I think oftentimes being able to identify it and uh, notify your bank immediately makes a world of a difference. Absolutely. Again, it's that communication factor that we spoke on. Well, Philip, in our next segment, I want to get into the evolution of social engineering and basically break down what exactly that is and the way that it has evolved. Again, the way that fraud has evolved and with this new wave of fraud. You're listening to Making Your Money Work with Associated Bank. We'll be right back on the new 1017 The Truth. Making Your Money Work with Associated Bank returns next on the new 1017 The Truth. Making Your Money Work with Associated Bank returns next on the new 1017 The Truth. Welcome back into Making Your Money Work with Associated Bank. I'm Melanie Ricks, and I'm being joined today by Philip Bailey, Senior Vice President and Director of Fraud Prevention at Associated Bank. So we last left our listeners at asking about the evolution of social engineering. Philip, can you tell us what exactly is social engineering? Entire process. There is investigation. There's an investigation process where it involves looking through individuals. This, they may be going through LinkedIn to look for individuals who have good jobs and they're looking and they're going to do a lot of research. So, with that, they're going in and they're doing a lot of background information. They're trying to piece together what they're going to use eventually for the hook. The hook is what they're going to use. So, for instance, if I know that, hey, Mel, you went out of town last week, I'm like, I can miss, hey, um, I can come and state that 
uh, I know that you were out of town last week uh, doing XYZ. I just need you to sign off on this wire really quick. Uh, I know you're on vacation. You go on vacation next week. So I'm trying to get it done before you go on vacation. And then they'll send that information out to you. And then, hey, unbeknownst to you, you're like, hey, this looks kind of good and I can do it or they're trying to do social engineering to get information to get some of that information from you I know I talked about this last time but it's still going on and people are still falling victim to it one of the best social engineering uh, tools that I've seen that's being used on social media is these different social surveys that they're doing like hey what's the what's the your favorite uh color what's your favorite you know dog and it's a lot and it's kind of perpetuated and sent around as like a game and people are filling these things out and guess what i have all of the information that i need to answer your security questions on any in uh, whether it's your email account or any security any uh, site where you have security questions set up I see you guys looking around, so you, you may have, I know you guys may have saw it before. And that's the easiest way. I don't have to put forth any effort. It's game, it's, it's gamified. Wow, that is seriously so scary. I'm a gamer, I enjoy playing games online, and it's scary to me just how savvy these scammers have gotten. Can you share the most common techniques that fraudsters do try to use to scam people on social media? I would say the most common types of uh, social engineering you see phishing you see smishing as i stated you see vishing uh phishing is done i know i know traditionally phishing is done leveraging emails but what we're seeing is there's a lot of phishing going on on social media whether it's facebook whether it's uh, instagram uh, even tiktok where people are a, a bit more off caught off guard because they're trying to build everyone's trying to build their social network so they're accepting people that they don't know you know because hey I have more followers I can get more followers I can get more things especially if you're trying to monetize your uh, social media page so with that comes people fraudsters coming in like hey I can get some of this information if you're oversharing that information they don't have to work hard but sometimes it comes from asking questions and you're there they may come in your dm and they may uh represent themselves as a person that can get you more followers or represent themselves as a, a person that can get you advertisements added to your social media platform they just need some additional information that's social engineering right there and people are uh subject to that because they're again everyone's trying to build their network and they're trying to get to the point where they can monetize their social media platforms absolutely i mean that desperation will make many people fall for some of these now i asked you before with the employment scam about red flags because i think it is so important that our listeners are aware of these red flags so that they can better be prepared to protect themselves for social engineering specifically what are some signs that we should recognize as a red flag i always say that uh, one of the greatest signs is velocity so Fraudsters try to speed up any transaction. So they're normally going to uh, state that, hey, I need all of this information by this time because there's a deadline for X, Y, Z. Or they're going to attempt to speed the transaction up so they can get the information as quickly as possible. Or if something just seems too good to be true. How many times uh, if they state something like, hey, 
uh, I can get you uh, $100,000 in two days if you just give me X, Y, Z. Or I can get you 100,000 followers in six hours if you just give me this information. Those are things that when you stop and think and think about it, you think, is this legitimate, A? And B, is this even real? Does this make sense? So again, taking those seconds to pause and think about it, and even if you're still on the fence, socializing it with someone else and seeing what their thoughts are. Absolutely. The use of the internet has exploded over the last decade and even more so over the last three years. And we tend to do so much via the internet. Can you explain how the increase in the use of platforms such as Amazon sports betting and the internet as a whole has led people to being more susceptible to fraud? I think people have become numb to just transact. We're, we're a tra- transaction-based society, meaning that everything is a transaction. You have people who have a conversation and they and there's a transaction in that conversation. So with Amazon being the biggest transaction you know, hub in the world, People are used to just making transactions. People purchase things blindly and aimlessly, and they give out information blindly and aimlessly because they believe it's a legitimate transaction. I'll take sports betting because sports betting has something that's different. Sports betting, everyone knows that gambling is addictive. So you're, you add a, something that's addictive desperation that's involved especially if you've been losing Mm -hmm. you're suspect you're subject to fall victim to social engineering if someone says like if they're misrepresenting themselves or trying to state that hey i can get you more credits on DraftKings or i can get you extra money on all of these different uh, yahoo fantasy uh i mean these yahoo fantasy leagues and all of these different things if you're desperate enough, you're not going to think about anything else. You're you if you just lost $500, you're going to be like, "Well, hey, this guy says I can get $1,000 and then I can parlay that into something else. Then I'm going to give them everything that they asked for." And they and fraudsters are sitting there and they're preying on that desperation. Okay, wow. That's deep right there. And a lot of information on social engineering and how it has evolved and how the internet has led to people being more susceptible to fraud. This has been a really important conversation. You've dropped quite a few really great gems. We're going to keep this conversation going next, where we will discuss fraud awareness. You're listening to Making Your Money Work with Associated Bank here on the new 1017 The Truth. Making Your Money Work with Associated Bank returns next on the new 1017 The Truth. Making Your Money Work with Associated Bank returns next on the new 1017 The Truth. What's up, everybody? We are back with Making Your Money Work with Associated Bank on the new 1017 The Truth. I'm being joined by Philip Bailey, Senior Vice President and Director of Fraud Prevention at Associated Bank. So just to catch everybody up, we've been talking about quite a few things today. We were fortunate enough to sit down last year and have a tremendous conversation about fraud prevention. And we've certainly expanded that conversation here today as we've discussed terms we should all know in the fraud and scamming world. So this new wave of fraud prevention, which we have seen Develop over the last couple of years, which is also something that you introduced us to last year. But 
we went a little bit more in depth this year. We've also got into employment scams and the evolution of social engineering, which is crazy hearing everything that you did have to say about social engineering. And I've seen all of that. Like, I've literally seen it for myself. I've seen it on social media, in email. I've seen it on ads when I'm shopping. So it's pretty crazy just to see how powerful this social engineering really has become. And Philip, I do appreciate the in-depth conversation that we've had here today. So now with that being said, I want to get into our fourth and final segment, which will be all about fraud awareness. So we just got done discussing this new wave of fraud that we've seen recently. So, Philip, with that, what can we do to protect ourselves from all of that I just summarized and everything that these fraudsters have been throwing at us? So before we talk about that, Mel, I wanted to give you some statistics. This is according to the FTC uh, Consumer Network report that's published every year. Last year, there was 2.9 million fraud reports. There was 6.1 billion total fraud losses with an average loss of about $500. 41% of people in the age range of 20 to 29 reported losing money to fraud. 18% in the age range of 70 to 79. So let's that's that that's kind of dissect that those are two totally different Very age ranges different, yeah. and you're finding that younger people are more susceptible to losing money yeah. however when you break down the in the the dollars that's lost if you look at it the median loss for about 20 to 29 is 500 bucks mm-hmm. but the average loss for 80 plus it's fifteen hundred. Mm. So although older people fall victim to fraud less, they're often impacted more from a loss standpoint. Mm. So when we look at this, we can understand that fraud is a broad spectrum, meaning that every it affects everyone. So to go back and answer your question on what can we do to protect ourselves from fraud, there's a lot of things to do. And it all involves just doing due diligence. And I, as I kind of break these things down, I always state this. Use strong passwords. Avoid using the same password on all, across multiple channels. As I look around, I see people may be doing that. Because if you become um, sus- subject to a breach or hack, they have access to all of your things opposed to just one right. one site. They would need to hack you multiple times. I also say use two-factor authentication when available. For that, the definition of that for people who don't know what multi-factor authentication is, is basically, if you put it in layman's terms, it requires that there's two pieces of information that needs to be had to in, in order to access the account. Normally, it's a PIN or some type of biometric coding that's need in addition to your password to uh, access your account. Always set that up. And I mean, not just for your um, accounts that have, that have cash value. I'm talking about for everything. I have multi-factor authentication set up on LinkedIn on everything. I don't use social media that much unless I'm looking for different trends and things, but uh, for everything that you can possibly do, set it up for your children. Make a game out of it and, and, and kind of employ them as well. Also, check your credit report often. You should often, you should be looking, I mean, they have a lot of sites that offer free credit reports. 
utilize them. Uh, if at all possible, put a freeze on your credit report uh, that you, especially if you're not going to be using it for a while, put, put a freeze on your credit, meaning that you won't be open to opening new app, any new applications. Guess what? When you're open to doing opening new applications, you can take remove the freeze and then put it through. What that will do is that will prevent individuals from using your social security number to open fraudulent uh, accounts in your name. I also say buy a shredder. I know oftentimes we throw our uh, our uh, information in the um, in the trash. It's not shredded. People are garbage diggers, meaning that they will go into your uh, garbage can and extract information from your uh, garbage can and put it together, and that's how you get a lot of synthetic fraud based on that information. And if you're looking at it, look for red flags in everything that you do. I state that as clearly as I can. Look for the red flags. If it's too good to be true, then it is. Right. If the job is too good to be true, if the offer is too good to be true, if the hustle or whatever you want to say is too good to be true, uh, stop, think about it, because there are ramifications for all of these things. Yeah, most definitely. And first off, shredder sales are going to go through the roof after this conversation because honestly as a matter of fact i'm gonna go buy one myself right now i think that's a really good point that you make and real quick before we continue with fraud awareness something that you said earlier on in your point which really stuck out to me the fact that the age group of 20 to 29 is frauded more often but the older age group is usually frauded out of more money so more often do you think that it is because it is easier to target a younger audience because of social media in the overall evolution of social engineering i would say uh, younger people are less aware and they're more uh, forthgoing with their information. I think that they're the drivers of the transaction uh, society that I was talking about. They're, everything is a transaction. You ever talk to somebody between the age of 20 to 29? Everything's a transaction in them. They're on Twitch. They're on different gaming sites. I'm like, okay. Oh, I just bet this guy in Madden, so I just sent him the money, and, and he's my friend. And I'm like, have you ever met this person? Right. No. You know, he's my friend, though. And then I'm like, okay, so if I were to go on and be a, and create a gamer tag and state that I'm your friend, too, right. and play a couple of games with you, can I get some information out of you? He's like, I never thought about it like that. And I'm like, well... That's what, you know, you have to kind of think about it as that. So they're just free flowing with their information. So and until that changes, they're going to be can continue to drive um, the percentages of uh, being susceptible to fraud. Yeah, I like the game component. Make it fun and make learning fun. Now, keeping with fraud awareness, I want to throw some scenarios out there and have you give us some tips um, on how to best resolve the issue. OK, so the first one. I get a text message saying that my Amazon order is delayed and I click on the link and it takes me to a fake page. What should I do? Yeah, the, it's, it's, it's uh, sponsored by the American Banking uh, Association. And it's an entire, it's, it's one of the best campaigns that I've been a part of. And what we're doing is we're sharing different um, different scenarios and sharing different information. If you look at my LinkedIn page, you'll see a lot of things that I've been sharing. You look at a lot of financial institutions, they're sharing this. There's a game. Uh, there's They actually made a game about it. It's a scam. I think it's a scam. 
Scam America game where uh, there's a person and you have to jump and avoid the different scams. There's mail theft, there's social engineering, there's identity theft. And it's a cool way to teach people about fraud because as you go through the game, it gives you different tips on different uh, ways to avoid fraud or different types of fraud. We need more of that. We need to um, we need to continue to expand on uh, banks the banks never say that campaign we also need to uh, start to target as we've been doing uh, start to target uh, younger kids because they're going to be the the next 20 to 29 age group so if we can get them at an early age and get them to understand not only a fraud awareness but general financial financial literacy that's the key Mm. okay great pro tip all right now scenario number two I receive an email that someone tried to log into my Cash App or Venmo account. What do I do next? Stop right there. I would say back out the link. Uh, if you have, if you're on your iPhone, swipe up and and kill that whole internet feed. And I would say um, prior to clicking on the link, if you ever face with that, if you get something from Amazon. Go log into your Amazon account to see if you did purchase anything. You can check your recent orders and see if you purchased anything. If you didn't purchase anything, delete the email immediately. But in this scenario, since you've already swiped up, I would then, after I uh, after I close the link out, I would go to my Amazon page immediately, and I will begin to change the password. Even though I don't, at that point, you're not breached. Just in case, change the password. You should. And also just a tip, you should be changing your password on average every six months or at the very least every year. Awesome. Thank you for that insight. All right. One more scenario for you. Let's say that a large company is hacked and my personal information could have been stolen. What should I do next? I would say contact your bank. If if someone tried to uh, hack into your Cash App or Venmo account, A, uh, your bank would be reaching out to you, wouldn't be reaching out to you directly. (laughs) They would normally call you or there'll be something that you see on your account that notifies you of that. So I would say the first point of uh, reference is to contact your bank and state that, hey, I received this so that the bank can safely go through and see if there's any breaches or anything to your account. Don't contact them using the number that's been perpetuated to you because they're very good at spoofing numbers, meaning that it will look exactly like your um, normal bank number. Call the number that's on the back of your debit card if you don't know your bank number. Call the number that's on the back of your debit card. Don't call the number that they perpetuated in that email or uh, text. Well, because you've mentioned freezing your credit card a few times during this conversation, is that something where people would need to call their financial institution in order to do that? If your information, if you believe that your information has been compromised, I would say the first thing you need to do is contact that um Contact the company that the breach occurred and see if you can get some information from there. Uh, second thing you need to do is contact your contact your bank account, your bank, and inform them. And then, secondly, I think you should go through the through the steps that we talked about earlier, where you need to go in and I would put a freeze on my credit, 
for a short period of time. I would also communicate with that company to see what their remediation is going to be because oftentimes you can negotiate with them to have ongoing credit monitoring on your account via LifeLock or some other vendor provider in which the company would pay for that uh, pay for that uh, that's those services. That's key because I remember um, I was a part of a breach before and I got that I got those same services for three years for free. Oh wow! Yes, they paid for a three-year subscription for yeah. to monitor uh, any spikes and anything on my credit. And that's something that you can negotiate. But again, that's not going to be advertised. Right. So that's a pro tip. So mm-hmm. if you're ever in a breach, contact the uh, contact the companies responsible for the breach and see if what their remediation process looks like. Oftentimes, they're offering something, mm-hmm. and then in the meantime, freeze your credit. Freezing the credit is not a bad thing. I would say all. I would say also make sure that you're you look through your credit report to see if there's any new inquiries or anything on there because you're going to need to contact. If there are, you're going to need to contact those companies as soon as uh, possible to let them know that you've been a victim of identity theft. Finally, I would say uh, if you have been a victim of identity theft, con- you can fill out an identity theft report with the FTC. And then you can take that information uh, to the police, make a, a local police report, because you're going to need it in the event that there's any financial transactions that occurs uh, as a um, as a direct re- uh, response to the breach or hack. Lastly, I know that you are passionate about this work. It was so evident last year when we had our conversation. And again, today, I can see just how much you care about helping people be more aware of the fraud risks, which are out there and very much still exist. Can you tell me why it is so important for us to stay vigilant against fraud? You would just simply need to reach out to any of the three uh, credit providers, Experian, TransUnion, or Equifax. All of them have the ability to do it. State that you would like your credit, uh, your credit frozen. And then once you have your credit frozen, then what will happen is if someone attempts to apply for something using your social and they're going to say that this credit is blocked and then the application will be instantaneously denied. You just have to remember if you're going to apply for a car or something right. to get that credit to, to get it removed and yeah, to right. give and uh, also do some due diligence to figure out how long it's going to take to get it removed. Because I would hate for you to call right before you're going to the car dealership and then the, and the system doesn't have enough time to process that the credit freeze has been lifted and then you, you get denied. Right. Because I always state that one of the most um, humiliating things is becoming a victim of fraud because you feel violated. You feel in some sense, in, in some cases, you feel dumb. You know, you feel like, and, and the, those are, da- that's a dangerous combination because if you feel dumb, you often won't share that information with others because you, you don't want them to, you, you're kind of cautious of how you're going to be viewed like oh man you fell victim to that but what you'll find is if you share this information more and share your stories more with uh, your peers it can help them avoid the same things oftentimes we're keeping these things to ourselves or uh, you know we're lying we're just flat out lying to one another um, on on things that we know are fraudulent and we're kind of it's like a misery loves company type of thing and I hate that so I'm I'm here and I'm trying to work my hardest to 
spread the awareness and state it's okay if you have been a victim of fraud. Let's just work together as a community to avoid it and to prevent others from falling victim uh, to the same things. Well, Philip, we really appreciate you always for coming in and being an expert on fraud and providing incredible tips and tactics to our audience. And of course, letting us know how we can best protect ourselves from falling victim of one of the many scams and fraud schemes out here. Again, that was Philip Bailey, Senior Vice President and Director of Fraud Prevention at Associated Bank. I'm Melanie Ricks, and this has been Making Your Money Work with Associated Bank right here on the new 1017 The Truth. The proceeding was a paid program. Advice and opinions expressed during the Making Your Money Work with Associated Bank show are solely that of the host or guests and not those of 1017 The Truth, Good Karma Brands Milwaukee LLC, or Associated Bank. Associated Bank N.A. is member FDIC and an equal housing lender.